The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Nash. In 1983, American astronaut Sally Ride was asked by NASA engineers if 100 tampons would be enough for one week in space. On this episode, we're talking about zero waste periods. According to the National Center for Health Research, American women each year spend about $3 billion on sanitary protection, according to 2015 statistics. So in 2018, I would imagine it might be a little bit more than that. And with me today to discuss zero-waste sanitary products is Megan Adams. She's an environmental and ecological engineer who wrote a paper on feminine hygiene products. So Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So you wrote this paper. Was this a master's paper or was this in your undergrad? This is in my undergrad. So I'm finishing up my senior year right now. Um, and this was a final project for one of the courses that I was in. Awesome. Each year, according to your research, how many feminine products are being sent to landfills? So from my research, it's about 20 billion uh, tampons, applicators and pads that are being sent just in the United States alone every year. The weird thing is, is I can't imagine how much that looks like. Right. <laughs> like, I don't have a it's, visual. It's so big. And it's something that's not talked about. So it's just this, like, almost like a ghost that's just going to landfills. And it's there, but no one speaks about it. So no one considers, like, the waste that they're producing from this part of their lives. Totally. You just kind of wrap it up and make it disappear without thinking about it. How many period products do women use over their lifetime, typically? Yeah, so I found a couple different numbers, um, but most of them are, like were around 11,000 period products over the 39 years that a woman, on average, is menstruating, which is insane. It's crazy. And even that number, I can't imagine in terms of garbage bags. Mm -hmm. Like if I think of how many tampons could fit into one garbage bag, like, right. I don't know, a thousand or something. It's just, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. And this is the thing with zero waste and why I call it the countdown because if we make these little tiny changes with little tiny things, it ends up being a huge impact over time. And then when we multiply it as well. So if you think if one woman on her street stops using these products and uses alternative products that aren't uh, just destined right for landfill, and then, you know, her neighbor does it and then everybody on the street does it, you know, then you're talking about like hundreds of thousands of, of tampons not being used and sent to landfill. So it makes a big difference. Absolutely. We talk a lot about collective action in my courses and on sustainability and environmental engineering. And it's like one of the biggest things besides like top down policy changes. Collective action is really the way that people can make the most impact on like a personal level. And even if it doesn't seem like you're making much of a difference by switching to reasonable period products, like it's still going to build up over time. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you into zero waste? Like, are you into not using these certain products that go to landfill? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think a year ago or so, I discovered the 
concept of zero waste. And um, kind of since then, I've been switching a lot of my daily products to being reusable products. So, um, for example, I'm drinking out of a like reusable mug and my stainless steel straw and I have bamboo Yay. toothbrushes and things that I know that I can either compost or recycle um, at the end of their lifetime. So that's definitely really important to me. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good to hear. I love all those products and use them as well. Yeah, you can totally do all this stuff zero waste and still do what you want in your life. So during your study, you kind of mentioned like why women are opposed to using reusable options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting because as I was doing research, there wasn't existing studies done on like kind of the why people use um, reusable products or don't use reusable products. Um, And so I think that one of the main themes that kept coming up in either people's comments on different articles about reusable products or in like reviews, a lot of people were just opposed because it's not a norm. They're not used to having to like, not confront, but they're not used to having to consider the amount of waste that they're using. So switching to reusable products, it's kind of like, oh, that's just gross. Like that can't be sanitary and things like that. And so people are opposed almost because that's just not something that they're used to having to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that shift in what people expect to have happen on their period and what products they're using, I think that is very important to kind of just change that, the stigma around periods and, oh, it's gross. It's like, well, it's not. There's ways to clean it. It's not actually a big of a deal. Like, it takes an extra minute or so, you know, like, there's little things that you can change and it's really not that big of a deal overall. But I think people overestimate the amount of time. I think they overestimate the yuck factor. Yeah. Is what I would call it. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. And it's not at all. I had a baby and put him in cloth diapers. So Mm -hmm. that was way worse. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. To deal with. But we had a little attachment on the back of the toilet. It was like a little hand spray bidet. And so I would take the cloth diapers, spray off the solids in the toilet, and then Mm -hmm. put the diaper in a plastic bin uh, with a little Mm -hmm. filter, like a little charcoal filter. And I would just wait until the bin was full and then go and wash them with soap nuts and they would come out so clean. It really wasn't a cleanliness issue or anything like that. And so when I made the switch to reusable pads, so washable pads, mm-hmm. it was like easy. It was just very easy. I just throw them in the wash and don't really think about it. And I now feel like the products destined for landfill are so much mm-hmm. dirtier in my mind because I've had this this thought shift. So I'm like, oh, those period products are dirty because they're trashing the planet and they're using different chemicals and they have a high carbon footprint to make. And instead, I can just use these ones for like the next, probably the, the rest of the time that I need uh, feminine products because they're Definitely. in such good shape. And that's something too, so like chemicals, something I was really surprised about is that Feminine care companies aren't always required to release the like the chemicals that they're using in their products, and so um, a lot of people who are like have highly sensitive skin or have allergic reactions to period products is because they're allergic to some of these like vague chemicals that are being put into the products that you don't really know about. So when you're getting reusable products, so a lot of those menstrual cups are made out of like medical grade silicone, or certain reusable pads are made out of just like 100% cotton. And so that's like a lot more um, visible, I think, when you're looking at what you're putting around your body. Absolutely. And that's a a part of your body you don't really want to mess with. Definitely. Polyacrylate gels are made from oil and they absorb liquid and suspend it. This is what's usually in pads. And then the cover stock is made from polypropylene. 
The leak-proof barrier is made from polyethylene film, and then there's also fragrance and antibacterial agents that can be added to pads. And the polypropylene has been known to leach synthetic oleamide, which acts with multiple neurotransmitter systems, accumulates in cerebrospinal fluid, and induces sleep in animals. Polypropylene is also considered an oxo-biodegradable plastic, which combines fossil fuels and metals that fragment when exposed to UV radiation, but also when it's exposed to heat. Pads are clearly going to be exposed to heat if we're using them. Dioxin is a byproduct of making rayon when wood pulp is converted to rayon. Most tampons are cotton and rayon, and while dioxin in tampons was reduced for health reasons in tampons in the 1990s, dioxin is still found in tampons today. It is also produced when tampons were bleached with chlorine gas. The Environmental Protection Agency reports that high levels of dioxin risk a damaged immune system, pelvic inflammatory disease, and reduced fertility. One study by DeVito and Schechter found that 80% of monkeys exposed to dioxin developed endometriosis, a disease that frequently leads to infertility. DeVito and Schechter also report that we actually eat more dioxin in food than can ever be absorbed through tampons, in all fairness. Also noteworthy is that the FDA regulates big tampon companies, so smaller companies tend to contain more dioxin when tested. Yikes. So be careful if you're buying a random brand. Vaginal tissue is covered in permeable mucous membranes leading directly to the reproductive organs. Procter & Gamble's pad brand, Always, was tested in 2014 by a group called Women's Voices for the Earth. Here's what they found were being emitted from the pads. Styrene a known carcinogen, chloromethane, a reproductive toxicant, chloroethane, a carcinogen, chloroform, a carcinogen, reproductive toxicant, and a neurotoxin, acetone, an irritant. It's not something I want to mess with. No, no, not at all. And toxic shock syndrome was something that I never wanted to mess with. So I actually mm-hmm. don't use uh, tampons ever at all. And The reason I never started is because when I was a teenager, I remember reading about toxic shock syndrome, and it just scared me right away from them. Toxic shock syndrome is caused by a poison that's produced by Staphylococcus aureus bacteria. Tampons saturated with blood facilitate rapid growth of bacteria, and according to WebMD, (laughs) polyester foam provides a better environment for bacterial growth than cotton or rayon. Diaphragms and cervical caps have been known to cause toxic shock syndrome as well, and even sponges when little pieces break off. So be very careful if you decide to try a sponge, or when these items have been left in 30 hours or more, then they become dangerous as well. Superabsorbent tampons have the largest relation to toxic shock syndrome, and it could be that it dries out the vagina, and then the fibers of the tampon can make tiny tears and allow bacteria to enter the bloodstream. In 1980 alone, 890 cases of toxic shock syndrome were reported, and 38 of those women had died. The tampon industry was forced to change their products, And since then, toxic shock syndrome hasn't been as much of a problem as it was in the 80s. But for me, learning about that when I was a teenager made me never, ever want to use one, ever. I use cloth pads, and then I do have a Diva Cup, but I don't really use it. And before period underwear came out with Thanks, which is awesome, I had my own like designated 
period underwear. <laughs> so I, it would just be black cotton ones. So mm -hmm. during a week, I would always wear my black underwear. And then at other times, I would wear other colors, right? So that if there is anything that happened, like you wouldn't really see it. Um, right. Kia Chatterjee, who's the U.S. director of the Climate Action Network, she told me something about babies and it's elimination communication. So after you feed a baby, if you go and hold them over the toilet, kind of like 20 minutes after, they'll probably just pee in the toilet because you know, there's only a certain amount of time mm -hmm. it takes for, for food to go yeah. through them. And so whenever I was on my period for a week, I would just go to the bathroom all the time. And I mm -hmm. know people are probably saying, well, I couldn't do that at my job. But like I worked on Navy ships and I worked in the military and I had many office jobs and stuff like that. And I think just getting up and going to the bathroom and then combining that with other products has just led me to never have to use tampons. Mm -hmm. They're pretty mainstream, but I, at least from like the survey data that I was getting, a lot of people don't prefer them as their preferred product, which I thought was kind of interesting because it seems like everyone assumes that that's what everyone's using is pads and tampons, but quite a few people actually said that they prefer other products, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, that is interesting because I thought tampons would have been the number one product. Mm -hmm. I think they still were the number one, but only at like 50% and then the rest were other things. Okay. Like a combination of other things. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what are the other things that people are using? Yeah. So in my survey, I focused on so pads and tampons. And then I also included organic tampons. And then period underwear, menstrual cups, reusable cloth pads, um, the Flex Disc, which is more of a specific product than like a product type. But I couldn't find any other brands that were selling something like that. And then the sea sponge. I found in a couple articles of people using them for the first time or using them for like their monthly cycle or whatever. Several people mentioned chunks breaking off or ripping off pieces and like having to like worry about whether or not it all came out and that just seems like you're just moving from one problem to a different problem instead of fixing any issues yeah kind of and, and you know we don't want anyone to get sick or like people have died from toxic shock syndrome it's yeah. really scary i've oh, never goodness. been a fan of tampons either which I, I recently bought a menstrual cup and so kind of switching to that now i'm excited to try it but i'm also a little nervous but i'm i think it'll be good for my zero waste journey absolutely yeah. On that. yeah I went a week without producing any trash at all and then um, I had a friend over who needed the garbage in the bathroom mm -hmm. and I thought oh my gosh I'm so sorry <laughs> because we don't <laughs> we don't use bathroom garbage so I, mm -hmm. I felt so bad and she came out and had to ask uh, in front of everyone um, oh, no. so I, I brought her in a, a garbage and then I had to like get rid of that after right because we don't even have a garbage pickup at our house oh okay that's amazing um, yeah, so I had to, I'd actually take it to my parents and like put it out with their trash. So <laughs> it's funny how we don't think of these things or we, we change and then, you know, you realize that there's still billions of them out there. But I want to get back to your study. So what kind of questions did you ask on the survey? Yeah, so I asked um, four different questions and I kind of wanted to just focus on people's awareness of period products and whether or not they were using reusable or disposable options. Um, and so my first question was kind of just, which of these products, the ones I listed earlier, do you even recognize? And so they could check off multiple ones and just saying, like, which ones had you heard of before? Um, and I was actually really excited to see that 93% um, of the responders had heard of menstrual cups and 81% had heard of period underwear. So I thought that was really great because that was definitely higher than what I expected initially. And for having 1,200 people respond to this survey, like, I thought that was a pretty good, and it probably was a pretty representative sample. There was a wide range of age. There was a wide 
age distribution in the survey as well. And so then I asked about which products they had tried during their cycles. And so 32% had actually tried the menstrual cups and 13% had tried the reusable cloth pads. So definitely pads and tampons were still in the majority, but for almost a third of the people having tried menstrual cups, I thought that was really promising as well. And then I asked which of the products were their preferred period products during a a cycle. And actually 24% of people said that the menstrual cup was their preferred product. And so then lastly, I kind of wrapped up with which would you be willing to try in the future? And I had I had not included any information on the survey about like the benefits or the cons of different types of period products. But just through, I think, probably after they had seen the names of these and if they hadn't heard of them before, maybe they did their own research. And so 53% said that they'd be willing to try period underwear and 44% of people said that they would be willing to try menstrual cups. Like you, I'm surprised that so many people had even heard of them. But here in Canada, we actually can get them at the drugstore now, like just big drugstore chains, which is super Mm -hmm. neat to see. But they're also really expensive. Um, I think they're about $40 Canadian. Mm -hmm. And while that's a deterrent, it really shouldn't be because, you know, you can use that for 10 years or so as opposed to... You're saving a lot of money. Um, And then I think the initial, it's almost like an investment. So the initial investment is what stop people from wanting to try them because they're like, what if it doesn't work? What if I don't like it? What if it's uncomfortable or gross? And so they think, oh, $30 or $40, like that's a lot of money to just try something out for one time. But for most people, it does work and they do love it and it's great. And so then you never have to buy anything again. Absolutely. And there are sometimes some on sale that you'll see like on Facebook or something, but I don't know if those Mm -hmm. are like the medical grade ones because there was a deal where you would pay shipping, which is like $10 and get one free. But I don't know if, if, you know, the quality's there. And if you're going to be using it, you're probably going to want it to be quality. Right. I would agree. Yeah. So I read a study from Nepal and I've read other information about how sometimes in other countries, Mm -hmm. young women are missing school because of their periods. And I did a little bit of research and I also found a study from Nepal that indicated feminine products have little influence on school attendance. And so I know you've done research on this as well. So uh, Mm -hmm. what are your findings? Yeah, so I don't know about specifically, I haven't read the second one that you mentioned about having little influence on school attendance. But if you like Google girls school period, along like some combination of those words, Mm -hmm. all sorts of articles and studies come up from across the globe. So whether it's a developing country or area, so sub-Saharan Africa, and Nepal were two that I really found to have several about girls missing school because of their periods. And this is mostly because there's not proper ways to dispose of period products in schools, So they don't have the correct separation of like water and waste. And so their water quality isn't great. Or they don't have access to period products because of how expensive they are. And so they end up using things like mattress padding, like the filling inside of a mattress or um, scrap cloth. And so there kind of comes with that, like a shame and embarrassment about their period. And they don't feel like when they go to school that there's any way to change their period products that they're using or that they'll be you know, seen as having their period, which is sometimes considered unclean or inappropriate, at least in those areas. But then there's also issues in other parts where the shame is the big part. And so women stay home because they're considered, they are, themselves are considered unclean. 
um, during their periods, and it's just not really acceptable to go out in public because they don't have this access to period products. And then also in developing nations, a lot of people, so in the United States, for example, I read an article about women in the UK. If you can't afford period products, like you're a low-income family or you're a family living in a homeless shelter or um, frequently frequenting um, food banks, a lot of those families and women and girls aren't able to afford to buy feminine care products. And so that leads them to not have anything or they're embarrassed. They don't want to go to school um, using just scraps of toilet paper in school. And so they'll frequently miss days of school during their period. And I think that's something that people don't really think about when you donate like food or like toiletries to a food bank. Um, I know shampoo, like my family has always just will buy like shampoo or body wash or um, canned foods that are easy. And those are just kind of the things you think about when you're donating food to a food drive or something. Um, But menstrual products are actually really needed because they're not going to be covered. They're usually considered like a luxury goods, and they're not going to be covered on food stamps. And so that's something that a lot of people don't have access to, even in developed nations where you might think that we don't have a problem with that. What do you think the feminine product industry can do to help solve the waste problem on their end? So I think something that's really cool is all of the small companies that are popping up in the industry. So companies that are making the period underwear or coming out with new styles and shapes and sizes of menstrual cups and just making that available to a wider range of people. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really good because it kind of disrupts the industry. And hopefully, as it gains momentum, we'll kind of force the big players in the feminine care industry that are producing all of the pads and tampons to like reconsider what they're focusing on and maybe start to innovate new products that even if they are disposable, maybe they'll break down in the landfill or they're compostable. You know, like new innovations. We haven't had a lot of change in the feminine care industry over the years. I think menstrual cups were kind of a thing that started, I think it was in the 80s. And so that was kind of a new thing. But even then, even for starting several decades ago, like it really hasn't caught on um, to be a mainstream product. And pads and tampons have been around for like decades and decades, like I think since the early 1900s. So having those disruptions in the industry will hopefully cause new products to become available and new opportunities for people who might not have been able to use other products. Absolutely. So a very long time ago, people used to use period belts. They had this belt thing and they would put a bunch of rags underneath it. And then in 1888, there were disposable pads that were created. And uh, it was based off of products for war to stop bleeding. Um, And so people started selling them as disposables to women in 1888. So they've been around a long time. Do you think the big, big producers will maybe switch to cups? Hopefully. I would, that would be the ideal. I don't know with like economics and how their businesses are set up. I feel like there will be some pushback on their end. I'm like worried that there'll be like aggressive ad campaigns against reusable products. It's kind of like, oh, those are gross or oh, those, you know, also lead to these problems. So hopefully they'll get on board instead of just fighting any change. I think we probably will see some pushback because if you're a three billion dollar industry, you're not gonna just go quietly into the night. You know, right, you, you have a lot of money you're to not, fight. They're not gonna want to switch to a menstrual cup, which you only have to buy every ten years. So I can't see that really working out yeah. or playing out where they just switch over. Yeah, so we'll have to watch for that for these articles that come out saying how horrible it is to use reusable products. And I hope we don't see that, but uh, we might. And, and I can assure you, because I've mm-hmm. been using them for a long time, that 
I don't think they're gross and they come out very clean and I've had no problems or anything like that with any of them. Definitely. On more of like a social aspect of it, mm-hmm. how how can we encourage women in our society and our cultures to switch to a more sustainable period product? I think the big thing for that is to talk about it and break down the stigma. I think everyone's a little bit like, oh, embarrassed when you're talking about your period mm-hmm. or it's just not something that you talk about in like conversation. There might be guys around and you're like, no, they wouldn't want to hear about this or that's inappropriate. So breaking down that stigma by like posting on social media, just like articles about different reusable products or benefits of using reusables or kind of the downside of using disposable products, either environmentally or the health reasons. And just kind of gradually starting to make that something that people think about when they're just scrolling through Facebook. And then in conversation, bringing that up and not trying to shy away from something. And I know that for me personally, when I've talked about it with friends, I mean, I'm an an environmental major, so we love talking about stuff like this. But um, in the conversations I have had, it's been really interesting and fruitful to hear about other people's experiences, whether it's with reusables or disposables, and kind of seeing that most people, when you talk to them about the different products, aren't actually that opposed to it. Um, They might not have thought about it much in the past, but if you bring them the facts and talk about, you know, the science behind it and the environmental impact that these products are having, most people seem to come around pretty quickly. The time is right for people to switch if they can, and there are lots of options out there. And it's so disturbing when you start thinking about the numbers of all of these that are still in landfill, because if your landfill is not being incinerated in your municipality, every tampon you've ever used is still out there somewhere. Yeah. And a lot of them, um, I've seen a lot of really like gross pictures that they end up in like waterways in the ocean and there'll be like fish swimming around with a tampon or like a seahorse, you know, swimming around with a, a tampon next to it. So it's really gross. But <laughs> We shouldn't do this. It's really weird. Yeah. They're like, they'll wash up on the beach and then kids Mm -hmm. will use them for like sandcastle toppers. Like those, those just no. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe don't do that. Let's get you something else for that castle. (laughs) Yeah. Because they don't know. But yeah, I see them on the beach all the time, to be honest. And it's really sad. Mm -hmm. So I think the easiest way to switch would be trying the reusable underwear or the reusable cloth pads or the period underwear as kind of like a segue into the more intense not really intense but menstrual cups is kind of a good option if you already use tampons it's pretty similar and almost all the articles that i found online like people love them um, so i'm excited to try those for the first time i've been using period underwear for about a year uh, i only have a couple pairs so i haven't had a fully like zero waste period yet but it definitely helps cut back so if you're even looking to just reduce the number of period products that you're using reusable underwear is really great too awesome yeah and i think that that's great if you can just reduce them from you know instead of using 10 a month or something, mm-hmm. maybe you could just use a few and then you're right, try these other products that help a little bit and uh, and go from there. And I think it's a, a neat little business to get into. So if you're looking for something to do on the side, you could make cloth pads. Um, Definitely. Yeah, there's some. There's a, a really nice one in New Brunswick, uh, lily pads, I think they're called. So there are more and more women who are breaking out their sewing machines and just making them mm-hmm. so that they're out there. So that's a, a really good idea too, I think. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've loved talking about this. I love everything environmental. So this is so fun. Oh, that's so cool. Me too. I, I love talking about it. It's funny because it like keeps me up at night. And then <laughs> I have a friend uh, that she says the same thing. She's like, yeah, I just like lay awake at night and like think about like how to save the world. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> that's actually really funny because we 
frequently joke um, with my major, so environmental and ecological engineering, a lot of the other engineering will kind of joke with us that we're all like hippies and we're like, yes, it's not all happy-go-lucky though. Like most of the time we're talking about like the end of the world and like why we're all destroying the planet. It's usually pretty grim. Yeah, we're not just hugging trees. We're like hugging trees and crying. Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very depressing. Because we don't know how long they're going to be here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, But this is what I'm trying to focus on with the podcast, too, is like because everything is so grim and it's sad. And I think Mm -hmm. we have a lot of outlets like pushing out that information. I'm trying to just find solutions that we can do in our everyday. And if you could cut out some of those sanitary products, uh, even if it's just a few at a time or just sort of try some cloth pads or anything like that, uh, it will make a huge difference over time, especially if you're really young because you have a long time to use them. So that'll make even more of a difference. 11,000 period products over your menstruating life, like just cutting those out early, like I'm 21. So if I can start switching, I won't have, you know, thousands of period products ending up in the landfill. So that's definitely a reassuring thing on a personal level. It's a good thing to to start thinking about this stuff. So thank you for writing that paper and thanks for coming on the show and I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you. Have a great day too. Thank you. Take care, Megan. Bye. Bye. This week on my countdown to zero waste, I want to discuss one of the letters I received from a listener named Anna from the Netherlands. In episode 12, What is TerraCycle?, I offered my alternative opinion to the growing movement that women should receive free single-use menstruation products because it's not their fault they get their periods. For starters, it would be bad for the environment because it would significantly increase landfill, increase sewer clogs that cost taxpayers millions of dollars, and it would increase water and beach pollution. That's in North America where we have pretty good waste management services. But what about other countries who don't even have municipal garbage pickup? Where would all of those tampons end up? Next, someone has to pay for those free tampons. They don't just appear out of thin air. They require a lot of petroleum-based chemicals to make and transport, and that costs money. The only entity big enough to cover the costs would be government, which means taxes would have to increase somewhere else. Governments would have to make a deal with the massive, multi-billion dollar tampon industry and would have to pay them, meaning giant corporations and rich people get even richer. Smaller companies that make sustainable period products would never be able to compete. People aren't going to purchase or search out better options when single-use tampons are free. Not many people, anyway. So taxes will go up on women somewhere else, the environment will be much more destroyed, Water will be more polluted, landfill will increase, and giant corporations will get richer. Not exactly ideal. Removing sales tax from tampons is slightly better than offering them for free, but do you really think those savings will be passed on to the consumer? It's not likely. The government would stand to lose a lot of money and the tampon industry could increase their prices by just a few cents to offset the new cost, which means they would make slightly more money while consumers are just paying the same. But what about this? What if the government, instead of removing sales tax from tampons, actually purchased a bulk quantity of menstrual cups, set up a database, and when girls get their period for the first time, they submit their request online and receive one menstruation cup in the mail? Menstruation cups are expensive for individuals to purchase when buying just one. But when hundreds of thousands are purchased at once, the price is much, much cheaper. 
and governments would stand to lose less money this way than removing sales tax from tampons. Another issue Anna brought up in her letter was that girls can miss school due to their periods. This is definitely problematic, and sending menstrual cups to the less fortunate would definitely be a huge help. But when charities gather single-use tampons and send them to impoverished nations, it's unlikely those communities have a waste management system, and therefore those tampons, once used, will end up in waterways, roadways, farmers' fields, and forests, or even worse, they could end up contaminating drinking supplies of fresh water if not disposed of properly. While the intent is good to send single-use disposable feminine products to countries in need, it could actually be causing more harm than good, and therefore sending menstrual cups as donations, or even getting involved with clean drinking water projects for starters, will be more sustainable. I actually really don't agree that all women should receive single-use tampons for free, because when we look at the wider picture, there are many negative implications, and the cup is a much more sustainable and reasonable option, although obviously not perfect. Thank you to Anna from the Netherlands for writing into the show, and thank you for all that you do in your life to getting closer to zero waste. If you like our show, you can follow me on Instagram. It's zero waste countdown. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. If you have any questions or ideas for the show, you can email me laura at zero waste countdown dot com. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.